Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the podcast. Here's a brand new episode for you, and I'm going to start the introduction in just a second. I just wanted to say that you can find the script for this introduction on the page for this episode on my website. You'll see a link in the description. I often do that. If I've written an introduction script in advance, I print out the script, or at least I sort of put the script on the episode page for that episode. So you can always find the relevant episode page for an episode in the episode description. And you can go there and often you'll find an introduction script or some other useful links or other notes and things, sometimes vocabulary notes and things. So it's always worth having a look at that. And that is the case for this episode. So if you'd like to read this introduction, you can find it written out on the episode page, link in the description. Okay, you're welcome. Now let's begin and let's start reading through that introduction like this. So, my guest today is my friend Max, who works at UNESCO. UNESCO. Do you know about UNESCO? You probably do. I'm sure you've heard of it. But do you know exactly what goes on there and how they do things and what they do? So UNESCO, that's U-N-E-S-C-O, stands for the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization. Here are some notes from Wikipedia. So UNESCO is a specialised agency of the United Nations, which has the aim of promoting world peace and security through international cooperation in education, arts, sciences and culture. Perhaps the most famous thing they do is protect certain world heritage sites, but that's only one of the things that they're involved in. So I expect that that's what they're most well known for. You probably have heard of UNESCO World Heritage Sites. In fact, there's a good chance you've got some in your country. Famous ones include things like the Galapagos Islands, Yosemite National Park. Uh, what else? Stonehenge in England, the Great Wall of China, Red Square in Moscow, the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, Halong Bay in Vietnam. Right. UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Now, that's only one thing that UNESCO does. My friend Max works there, and in this episode, you'll hear us talking about his work and about communication in the context of international diplomacy. Now, this is actually quite complex stuff. And normally in these situations on this podcast, when I'm talking about something that's potentially a bit complicated, when I'm publishing an episode like this, I have to make certain decisions about what to say in the introduction. How much should I explain in advance? What kind of support should I give to my audience before you listen? And people listening to my podcast have varying levels of English. And rather than slowing down and stopping to explain every single word, I want to give you a conversation at natural speed. But explaining some context at the start can really help a lot of people. 
And uh, so that's what I'm doing in this introduction. It's not just because of English either. It's also just a question of general knowledge too. So I'm going to try and inform you about UNESCO in order to help you then really get the most from this conversation. Before I met Max, I didn't really know a lot about what UNESCO did. And honestly, I think most people out there probably find it a little bit of a mystery. So I've decided to explain one or two things here, just so that you're properly placed to understand all of this and therefore enjoy it and benefit most from it. Of course, I don't want to say too much or repeat myself or anything, so I've written this introduction in advance to try and keep me focused, to be informative but also efficient, and then you can just get stuck into the conversation with my guest. So Max works for the UK delegation at UNESCO, which has its headquarters in Paris, by the way. The word delegation comes up a few times in this episode, and also the word delegate, and that will be explained. So UNESCO's headquarters is in Paris. I actually did stand up there once, which was weird. That's not normally what the UNESCO headquarters is for. Certainly the main room, the big meeting room, which is where I did my stand-up, uh, I was up on this stage. That's not what that room is normally for. It's normally for much more serious purposes. But I was invited there as part of a festival in 2019 called Paris Talks. It was a bit like a series of TED Talks, all of them serious, about the future. And then the organiser of the t of the festival decided it could be interesting to have some stand-up comedy. So that's why I was invited to take part. But it was a pretty weird context to be doing comedy. Because, first of all, all the other speakers had been talking about very serious things. The room is huge as well. There were people dotted around on different tables. Some of them weren't really focused. Some of them were like working on their computers or even on their phones. And, and then I had to go up in the middle of this fairly somber atmosphere and try to do comedy. It was really difficult. That's not what the room is, is for. Normally it's for these big, very serious international meetings. Anyway, whenever I chat to Max, right, if we have a drink together or something, I'm always really curious about his work. And I find it really fascinating. Hopefully, it will be fascinating for you too. So we're going to talk about the work that UNESCO does and the way the organisation works, but also about the different forms of communication that happen there. And this, for me, as an English teacher, is perhaps the most interesting thing about it. So imagine nearly every nation in the world collaborating together at a government level on very important projects. This, of course, includes nation states which have different relations with each other, some friendly, some antagonistic. Also, you're dealing with often vastly different cultures with different communication styles and values. But you've got to try to work together with these different groups towards a common goal. So this involves communication at a very high level, international diplomacy. So what does it take to cross these barriers of culture, politics, economics, at a state level? Diplomatic communication is a huge part of it. And working in this context requires a variety of different types of communication skills. There's persuasion, there's negotiation, there's showing respect, there's using pressure, there's giving compliments and expressing gratitude. And it can happen in writing, and in spoken English too, at various levels of formality. So imagine these different communication contexts, right? First of all, you might have huge meetings in that big meeting room where I did stand up and didn't make anyone laugh. 
Imagine huge meetings with representatives from countries all around the world sitting at tables with little flags on them. Right. To be honest, I don't know if they actually do have little flags at UNESCO, but, you know, it's that kind of thing. Right. Representatives from countries around the world sitting at tables and everyone attempting to work together to agree on certain big decisions. Sometimes they don't want to do the same thing. There are groups that are friendly, groups that have their differences. Also, time is so important because it's all being simultaneously translated into a think about six different languages and all of those translators are there those interpreters are all there sort of translating on the spot being paid so time is money as well then there's the collaborative writing of very formal documents in these big meetings these are documents which unesco issues a bit like laws passed by a government although UNESCO doesn't actually make laws, collaborating on the writing of sentences, paragraphs, where every single little detail is important, a bit like the way a contract might be written. Then you've got smaller, less formal meetings in which different delegations... that Delegations basically means representatives, where different representatives or delegations attempt to build support for their proposals with negotiations and persuasion, but in a less formal way. And then you might have individual one-on-one -on -one conversations or conversations in small groups between the more formal meetings, so maybe in a lunch break or something, where representatives might stand up and chat together, perhaps over coffee, and a softer form of persuasion or negotiation occurs, and the building of relationships and alliances. And, as I mentioned before, there's the work of interpreters who sit in other rooms looking through windows with headsets on, listening to what's going on, having to simultaneously translate what is being said in these important meetings from one language to another, and the quick decisions that they have to make about how exactly they should word things without subtly changing the tone of what is being said. Interpreters are a huge part of this. Maybe some of you listening are considering becoming an interpreter, or maybe you already are. And in fact, maybe some of you listening to this are considering working in international diplomacy to some extent. Even if you don't want to become a diplomat, if you're going to go into international business in some way, um, it's very similar, really. And using this kind of high-pressure situation as a model is quite a good way of actually understanding the pragmatics of what it means to communicate across cultures. I've got one listener I know for sure has been waiting for this episode for quite a long time. So how is language used in these different situations? How does the language change? Now, we're talking about different levels of formality and the pragmatics of diplomacy at this high level. We're talking about word choices, structural choices, and so on. Also, what does UNESCO do exactly? How does it actually work? What does Max actually do on a daily basis? So these are the things I was very interested in capturing in this conversation. Uh, before we start, just a few more details. Here's some more information from Wikipedia about UNESCO. So it was founded in 1945 and its founding mission, which was shaped by the events of World War II, is to advance peace, sustainable development, and human rights by facilitating collaboration and dialogue among nations, right? This is really important because it just gives you a sense of like what where UNESCO is coming from, directly formed as a result of what happened during World War II, 
which is when nations of the world really tried their best to completely destroy each other. It was, you know, it's to state the absolute obvious, to state the obvious, it was a huge, a huge tragedy and a terrible, terrible moment in the history of the human race. One of the worst things that's ever happened. And we never want something like that to happen ever again. So UNESCO is a project that emerged from that situation in order to ensure that the nations of the world try to cooperate and work together diplomatically in order to sustain peace, to maintain human rights and make sure that we all work together and we continue talking together. UNESCO pursues this objective through five major programme areas, education, natural sciences, social and human sciences, culture and communication or information. So what does it actually do, though? Well, we understand the concepts and the, the, the objectives, but how does it actually do that? Now, I find this quite hard to work out, but I've worked out this much. So UNESCO sponsors projects which basically means that they, they give money to pay for projects using its budget that all member states contribute to. Uh, so these projects are supposed to improve literacy, provide technical training and education, advance science, protect independent media and press freedom, preserve regional and cultural history and promote cultural diversity. Also, it assists in the translation and dissemination of world literature making sure the best works of literature are available to be read by everyone and not just in their countries of origin. Okay. Um, it helps establish and secure world heritage sites of cultural and natural importance, as I mentioned earlier. Um, it works to bridge the worldwide digital divide, which means attempting to reduce disparities or differences between developed and developing countries in terms of what technologies are available to people. So essentially trying to bring about more of a balanced situation in terms of the access to technology that people have. Also, UNESCO works to create inclusive knowledge societies through information and communication. And you might be thinking, what is a, what is a knowledge society? Well, by knowledge societies, UNESCO means societies in which people have the capabilities not just to acquire information, but also to transform it into knowledge and understanding, which empowers them to enhance their livelihoods and contribute to the social and economic development of their societies. So when we say societies, we mean, you know, civilizations in different countries. And so knowledge societies are societies which have access to knowledge, information, education, which they can then use to essentially better their their lives, right? Um, and uh, UNESCO has launched several initiatives and global movements in this area, such as Education for All. Right, but again, how does it actually do these things? Well, as far as I can tell, they create what Max calls standard-setting documents. Now, there's probably a number of things that they do, but one of the things that we talk about in this conversation is this creation of these standard-setting documents, documents which set certain standards. Now, these are not laws because they're not legally binding, right? And in fact, UNESCO doesn't make laws. It's not that kind of organisation. It's not like uh, the European Union or something which, which does actually pass legislation which member states are bound by. They have to follow it in some regard. UNESCO doesn't work like that. So it doesn't produce laws which are legally binding. 
But, but these documents are similar to laws because they set out guidelines on what should or should not be done. And the idea is that the member states are able to use these documents, these guidelines, these standards to help them to create policies and laws which are applied then in their countries. OK, right. So like I just said, governments in the member states can use these standard setting documents to help them form policies and laws in line with UNESCO's overall objectives. So they're not binding legislation. Uh, but these UNESCO documents are still very formally written. It's, they're still very formal documents. And Max tells us about how this is done at the various stages, referring to different communication contexts in the process. Right? Now, this all might sound a bit dry in my descriptions. Right? When I say dry, I mean kind of like not full of the most exciting um, uh, stuff. Right, it's all a bit dry, potentially a bit flat, but it's not really because, well, just let me take you back to that image of the large meeting room at UNESCO. I think if you just put yourself in that position, you'll start to, it, maybe it'll come to life, it'll be a bit more vivid for you, a bit more real. So let me just take you back to that image of the large meeting room at UNESCO with all these representatives or delegates from the different countries. Imagine you're actually there. Imagine having to open one of those big meetings. You're going to have to say the first words to get the meeting started. Imagine the mood in the room as you look out and you see these different faces representing the different nations. Imagine the tone you would have to use in your speech, the specific wording to gain their attention and their respect, to speak with the relevant level of importance to try to create a feeling of goodwill in the room, to make the different delegations feel respected, and then to attempt to unite these different nations with competing interests and worldviews. Quite a challenge. Imagine having a specific project, something that you care about, like maybe an environmental project or something, and trying to get it off the ground arranging smaller meetings to try to build alliances and get support, taking the time to chat one-on-one -on -one with people between meetings, drafting emails with proposals, and finally trying to edit formal documentation in collaboration with other delegates in these huge writing sessions that can last days. So that's the world we're talking about here, and specific things about how we have to adapt our language in these situations. Okay. So several other things, just three more things before we get started. So the first thing is that as well as being a diplomat, Max is also a really good guitarist. He's a great guitar player. And so at the end of this conversation, we couldn't help but turn our attention to the guitars on the wall in my podcastle. And Max plays one of my guitars and we talk about guitars and Jimi Hendrix and Nile Rodgers for a little while. So we do move from international diplomacy to guitars and music. And if you want to hear Max play, just stick around until the end of the conversation and you can do that. Secondly, in terms of the audio, there is a little bit of background noise. There was a guy in the corridor outside my podcast room doing some work. He was sanding a wall, you know, sanding a wall, sanding the paint off a wall. So apologies, you'll hear the sounds of normal life bleeding into the recording slightly. So if you hear that in the background every now and then, 
It's not just like a percussionist playing along in the background. No, it's a guy sanding a wall in the corridor. I think it's not too bad, but if you hear some noise and wonder what it is, it's a guy sanding a wall outside. Right, so without any further ado, let's get started. The first thing you'll hear now is me saying that often the most difficult part of podcasting is the very beginning of a recording. It's difficult to know exactly how to start and what to say at the very start. And Max gives me a good bit of advice, which he's learned from his work at UNESCO. So let's now join the conversation at that point, and I'll chat to you a little bit at the end. But now let's get started. The beginning of an episode is always the most difficult part. Yeah, it's like a blank page. Yeah, you just like, to, oh, God, what's the first thing I'm going to say? What's the first thing you want to say? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because you you actually can I, can... I can help you with that because I have developed a sort of a technique now where I, when I take the floor at mm-hmm. UNESCO, yeah. I try and thank a few people before I start talking about the thing I want to talk about. And that helps me... Because it's sort of, you're projecting yourself a little bit and it buys you time. And whilst you're thanking people, you're thinking about the structure in your mind of how you want to develop. Because you've only got two minutes and you can see the countdown on the big screen in front of you. Uh, You've got a microphone that sounds like, where your voice sounds like a sort of a 1960s record. Yeah. (laughs) uh, And... um, and so by the time that you've thanked everyone, you, your thoughts are a lot clearer. Your heart rate has stabilized. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you're able to actually make sense. Well, and let's, let's try that. Thank yeah. you, everyone, for yeah. tuning into this uh, episode of Luke's English Podcast. Okay. Thank you very much for listening or watching if you're watching on YouTube. <laughs> and also, I'll take this opportunity to say thank you to those people who have supported the podcast um, recently in various ways, including uh, sharing the show, telling your friends about it, and also sending in donations as well. People actually send donations into Fantastic. the show in order to support the podcast. So if you are one of those people, you are keeping this podcast alive. And also, I must say thank you to the premium subscribers as well, because they are the, I suppose, the major, the main stakeholders for this this whole project. Anyway, right, yeah, I've thanked people now. Uh, thank you as well for being here, Max, although My normally pleasure. that's the sort of thing you say at the end of an interview. But so, listeners, viewers, I am talking to Max, my friend Max, who works at UNESCO. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, UNESCO and also about the, 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 the sort of communication, the intercultural yeah. uh, communication that is involved in the, in the work that yeah. you do. Um, so, hi, Max. Hi. Thanks, Luke. Thanks for having me. And, 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 and uh, yes, uh, I, so I work for the uh, permanent delegation of the United Kingdom at UNESCO, the UK permanent delegation to UNESCO. So you, on the one hand, you have member states who are sort of the shareholders, uh, uh, the contributors. Um, and then on the other hand, you have the, the secretariat who are UN civil servants and who are the delivery arm, really, of, 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 of the, op- the whole operation. We, we, we are there to sort of steer, guide we provide funding, most importantly, and shape the the policies that, that the organisation uh, adopts. Yeah. So you work for the permanent UK delegation yeah. of yeah. UNESCO. That's right. Which is yeah. based here in Paris. Yes. 
there are permanent delegations from how many countries? So currently we've got 194 countries at UNESCO. Permanent. Yeah, yeah, permanent delegations. Yeah, I say I say currently because the US has just rejoined, and we rejoined, have rejoined. Yeah, they 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 left in about in uh, the, uh, at the end of 2018 uh, under Donald Trump, and then now they've returned, mm -hmm. and we hope they're going to stay. Um, but, yeah. the, but the elections are looking a little bit. Um, uh, well, the forecast is not exactly positive, so we'll see. The presidential elections, yeah, the, presidential the U.S. Elections, presidential the, elections, yes, and that yes. might have an impact. Um, but we're all. But we're, we don't want to think about it. <laughs> we want them to stay. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's a little bit down the road as yeah, well. Although yeah, I'm sure yeah. it's a major concern yeah. at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. Because basically, if Donald Trump wins, then he'll take you out, take the U.S. out of UNESCO right. again. Possibly. Possibly. But well, we're not, we're, we don't want to think about that. Okay, let's not talk about <laughs> it then. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm going to ask you yeah. the question that people always ask you uh -huh. when they meet you at parties or you know other situations, which Absolutely. is what. So Max, what do you do? So what do I do? Um, uh, so my job is I, I'm the deputy permanent delegate. So I'm sort of the number two of the delegation. It's almost like the deputy ambassador, and I support my ambassador um, for all the, the political uh, topics, the subjects, but I also um, make sure that the delegation runs smoothly, so I have a, an operational role as well, make sure that um, uh, everything gets done on time, that we don't miss deadlines, because we've got a lot of deadlines, a lot of consultations where we're asked by UNESCO, what does the UK think about this policy? And if you don't, if you don't feedback, if you don't provide feedback, uh, you miss a chance of, of influencing that process. And also, um, we've—I uh, mean, I've—I've—I've I've got two or three priorities in terms of uh, the subjects that, that that UNESCO does. I focus on education, um, uh, safety of journalists, and media freedom, which is a really important one when it comes to fighting for fighting disinformation and 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 ensuring that journalists can continue to do their important work. And then um, I also. Um, because I've been there for a while, um, I have a, an important role in helping the UK understand the budgetary process of UNESCO, which is a, 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 a difficult uh, a, a, a adventure, actually. You have to navigate um, perilous <laughs> seas sometimes to understand what the, what, what, how to get a decision done on time, when is the most efficient uh, time and effective for uh, to speak, to influence the budgetary process. So, yeah. My God, I've just got yeah, so yeah. many questions yeah, about this um, <laughs> just to try and understand the, the nature of it. Yeah. So you said that you are um, a deputy yeah. to the UK delegate yeah. or delegation. So delegation, two, two yeah. words that I would like yeah. to be defined, and that's yeah. delegate and delegation. Can you tell exactly. us more about those so, things? So delegation can be two things. You, you, you have a delegation of, of, of colleagues who are based in the UK who will come to UNESCO to do a specific meeting, mm -hmm. and they will be experts in their fields, education, science, culture, and they will come to UNESCO to um, deliver the UK view during a discussion or, or during a negotiation. So this is a group of This is a, a group of one. Yeah, it's one individual or a group of individuals coming to UNESCO from the UK, and, the, and, and that would be typically just 
the word delegation. Yeah. Right, so it's a person or a group of representatives. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And when they come to UNESCO, they come into the large meeting room, do they? Yes, they would come to... Well, it depends. Sometimes some meetings are in a smaller room, but they, they, it's, not, it, it's not to say that they're not equally important. Um, and then um, and then and then sometimes they come to into the bigger rooms and but but so I, I mean the, the word delegation implies that you are representing the UK uh, uh, or you are speaking on behalf of the UK yeah so yeah. those people who come as as delegates, as yeah. a delegation, yeah. uh, they are who? I mean, you said they were sort of uh, specialists so or experts. They, they or... can they can be a number of things. They can be usually the, the they can be officials, so so government officials. But we also have UNESCO is a is is is, is an organisation that has a, a a big range of stakeholders. They have a lot of experts from civil society or academia, NGOs who also contribute to the the, the conversation because. Mm-hmm. UNESCO's policy making is very long term, so you 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 usually have multiple rounds of conversations. Um, civil society does a round of conversation. Academics have their inputs, and then you have the final decision taken by government officials. So so it's a sort of a a step by step process. Um, and what what's the end? Result, because I understand. Yeah. Right. So I un- I understand uh, Parliament. Right. I understand yeah. government, That's... which is where MPs who've yeah. been voted for yeah. sit down, discuss new laws, vote on them, yeah. and those laws go through a process, and then they get passed. New laws are made. Yeah. Right. And those laws are then applied in yeah. the UK yeah. um, in you know various different aspects yeah. of society. Yeah. Right. So you know tax or policing or yeah. or whatever the policy is. Yeah. UNESCO is this organization with representatives That's right. uh, from 192 countries. 194. 194 yeah, countries yeah, yeah. at the moment. Um, and you meet these delegate representatives from the different countries yeah, meet to yeah. discuss and sort yeah. of make decisions on a variety of different That's subjects right. like educational journalism, yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in culture, in culture, yeah. uh, sciences. And, and what's the end of the process then? So the end of the process can be <clears throat> a, a, a standard setting document, for example, very much in the same spirit that a law would be created. But it's just that we can't do binding laws in the same way because it's international law so it doesn't have the same binding nature standard setting yeah. document a document which sets standards yeah, yeah exactly but it's not binding law but, it, but it, so it, it it can be um it depends you have you have multiple uh, levels of of of, of sort of uh, 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 in you have a convention which is the most legally binding document where countries actually ratify those conventions and make those into their own national laws i see uh, and that's that's that that would be exactly the same as the the, the process that you described so so unesco often feels like a parliament actually yeah. we when we sit in those negotiations we take the floor and we try and change the text that's on the screen actually they we do live editing in the room Really, yeah, which got... is quite extraordinary process, actually. Yeah, we've got a screen in. We got, you, you, you're looking at two screens in front of you, one in English and one in French, and um, as the as we're adopting the decision, paragraph by paragraph, we're changing a comma. <laughs> take an entire day wow yeah like should there be a comma or should there not be a comma here no yeah. but, no but seriously they, they a lot of the time we 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 actually um change the language for the better sometimes it's difficult because there's not much we can do there are a lot of countries who are 
in a majority there's a majority of countries who want that particular formulation so you you, you have to pick your battles yeah mm-hmm. I, I think I, I wanted to come back to the um, the, de- the, the, the definition of delegation because I think we missed um, I, I, I didn't I didn't tell you about the the, the permanent delegation which is another to sort of another category in a way that's that's the the permanent delegation is the is, is is effectively the ambassador and myself who are based here in Paris permanently. Right. And and that's the majority of the people that I speak to, um, and, and they are the permanent representatives of their countries here based okay. in Paris. So so but 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 they are but we are supplemented by delegations who come from our capitals or various your yeah. permanent delegations yeah. and visiting ones and visiting delegations right yeah, okay right. Yeah, yeah, yeah i see i see all right <laughs> all right so you then specifically you said you you kind of uh, meet the you're like you liaise with the uh, visiting delegation delegates and that's so right, on that's right but then in this big meeting room or the smaller ones yeah. where for example you might have these texts up yeah. where you're literally um uh, amending the text as amending you as text. you go yeah um uh, uh, are you actually speaking in that situation yeah so if we if if for example countries are trying to change the text in a way that is inaccurate or is is trying is is trying to just sort of delete important references to various inter- pieces of international laws that we fundamentally believe in and that we think are an important achievement and important gains over the years and and if countries just don't want to recognize those and want to sort of have a problem with those particular regulations or or, 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 or international laws or international conventions or or, 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 or UN General Assembly decisions or um, human rights declarations for example we will our our, our our aim is to try and, and protect that language. So yeah, we, we will intervene and, and mm-hmm. try and protect uh, references to various um, to various pieces of yeah. Okay. So I'm just trying to imagine this situation where you've got a text. This is just yeah. one of the many things that you do, of course, but you yeah. in a situation where you are um, kind of trying to uh, rewrite or, or write from scratch some yeah. sort of, uh, as you said, uh, um, a standards declaration, right? A declaration or something like that. Um, uh, do you really have 194, at least 194 people no. all working on the same document? No, no you could. Oh, yeah. Sometimes in, during the general conference, which is which happens every two years, every country is allowed to speak, take the floor, and amend the text. Um, but then every six months, we have a more reduced forum called the executive board. Uh, it, <clears throat> it doesn't always feel very executive because it's fifty-eight <laughs> countries, but okay. still within that space, you only really have about. 20 countries who really take an active part in negotiations. So it's, I wouldn't say it's, I'd say it's manageable. Sometimes it gets out of control, but eventually we get there. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's happened that, that you spend an entire day on a paragraph. That, yeah. I've seen that happen. I can imagine that. Um, yeah. I can imagine. So, so. And 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 then you have to sort of have breakout sessions where you you break out over lunch. So UNESCO has a, a, a very interesting um, uh, 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 lunch hour. Uh, they they have two hours for lunch. They break between one and three, and, yeah. that, and that's to allow um, for countries to meet in the in the margins of the meeting uh, and and work out whatever differences. 
uh, they have on, on a particular text. And sometimes, often actually, the, the, to coming back to your point earlier about communication, that actually solves a lot of communication issues because when you're in a big room sitting behind a microphone, there's a lot of there's a lot of apprehension and fear of misunderstandings and and people are genuinely under pressure because you know that you're on the interpreter's time clock's ticking we're about to take a decision that we won't be able to change because there's no appeal process effectively at UNESCO once once the decision's been gaveled that's it it goes on to the next stage and it's been gaveled yeah with gaveled. a hammer yeah, with a is hammer. there really a guy yeah. with a hammer <laughs> who is that guy well, there's a chair. or girl so the, the, usually the chair of any, every meeting <laughs> is elected it's 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 a woman or a man yeah um it's they're usually representatives of a of a country usually a permanent delegate uh, or okay. an ambassador of, okay. of a given country. So yeah. the chair. The yeah. chair. The chairperson. Chairperson. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Mm. Okay. So in terms of communication then, I mean, we could yeah. talk for ages about the actual yeah. processes of, yeah. of what UNESCO does. And I'm probably going to do some introduction to give an overview. Yes. Um, we yeah. need to get into the... We need to get into the subject of, of actually communicating and how that yeah, happens yeah. in various yeah, ways. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> let me just ask you a couple of quick questions then. Um it, 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 what what are the various uh, situations in which you have to communicate uh, with uh, between the delegations yeah. or delegates at UNESCO? So from from small to big. Yeah. What's yeah. the smallest situation? What's the biggest so, situation? So a smallest situation would be what we call a bilateral meeting, mm -hmm. where we get you have two countries meeting bilateral, and it's a conversation between. Yeah. Sorry conversation between two countries on a specific issue and often well it could be you could have two scenarios you could have a situation where you're speaking to a country that agrees with you and where you need to secure their support so that when you then take that conversation to the big meeting where everyone's going to be in the room and it's that's it's that's the time when the decision needs to be taken you want to make sure you know how many people uh, are supporting you on a given point. But at the same time, <clears throat> in order to facilitate the process of that end and that end process, you also want to talk to the countries where you know they will maybe have reservations about language or some areas of that text will be sensitive for them. So you want to make sure that you can speak to them and you can clarify where you're coming from so that there's no misunderstanding and there's no... Um, um, there's no lost opportunities effectively. So, so that communication then needs to be, I mean, my, my mantra is to be totally transparent, just not put myself in a situation where I would have to lie because that just doesn't get you anywhere. Yeah. Uh, you just have to just be, just tell the truth to say it like it is. And, and, and yeah. Can you just give, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of tangent going off on a little tangent yeah. here, but hopefully it'll illustrate yeah. these things we're saying. Um, what, give us an example of the sort of decision that you're trying to take. Yeah. 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 So uh, um, I don't know if you can give us a real example yeah, or if you can, can make one up, but no, no, no. just so that we get an idea of what it is, the, what decision it is that's being made. So, of course. Yeah. So, I, so, so for, um, for a number of years, um, I was speaking to experts from the UK on an oceanographic uh, program, uh, the, the National Oceanography Centre in Southampton. And they come to, 
to Paris to meetings in UNESCO because UNESCO has uh, a program called the Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission. And that particular program looks at the science uh, of the oceans. And we it's scientists who come together in Paris and talk and make decisions about ocean science. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very important program and it just wasn't getting enough funding from what we call the regular budget. Where does that money come so, from? So the money, the, the regular budget is the member states' contributions. Okay. And that is decided by the UNESCO Secretariat. Um, and for a number of years, that funding was not sufficient for that oceanograph oceanographic program to, um, to just do its core work on... Da developing data, um, developing the science, and um, and monitoring uh, the ocean, for example, monitoring the seabed, mapping the seafloor, all mm -hmm. these really important scientific yeah. activities uh, that UNESCO was was coordinating and facilitating and funding. And UNESCO has another way of getting funding, which is to do what's called resource mobilization. So they go out and ask countries to give them money for specific activities. And it, the, the, the balance had shifted more towards that sort of funding, which meant that UNESCO was no longer able to do its core work, but it was actually going out and looking for funding to do very specific things. And it was Oh, and and actually the 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 auditors the internal auditors of UNESCO said it's a problem because UNESCO is becoming more opportunistic and less strategic in a way so i i just couldn't mm. live with that i just thought we've got to do something about that we've got to do and something about the we, the, the ocean project yeah and yeah. it's the ocean you know it's it's yeah. not just anything it's not just a small project so i thought right we've got evidence we've got an a, 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 an internal audit here <clears throat> We've got um, we've got experts in the UK who are um, really top experts in their field, and we put to, I put together um, a, a team. We 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 thought about how we were going to present the issue, and the issue eventually was right. We just need to increase the proportion of the budget. Uh, from the regular budget to this oceanographic program. Mm -hmm. We just need to give this program more money to do the regular things that it's supposed to be doing. So it's not, we're not going to say we're going to increase the, the budget to do specific things. We're just, we're just, it needs more money and we're going to trust the secretary of UNESCO to allocate that money properly. But as member states, we're going to take a decision to say we are raising the, the budget level from by 1%. Okay, but but in in real terms, it's actually millions. Yeah. So it was a difficult project. So so I then had to draft the 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 actual paper. Yeah. So I drafted the resolution and then an explanatory note, as we call it, to explain why why we wanted to do this. So that was three or four pages. Um, I then showed the draft to my colleagues in, in Canada uh, and, and then other countries had a look at it as well. And then we, we organized what we called informal negotiations where 
I presented the text and I presented the rationale for uh, 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 for, 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 for presenting that, that that paper. Informal negotiations, right? Informal, so you're pre- yeah. Presenting the initial presentation yeah, of, of exactly. the paper. Yeah. So that, in terms of big to small, as I said before, yeah. this is fairly small. This is like one to one, or is this email? Um, or it, no, this 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 was actually uh, so the the, the 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 emailing part was in the beginning with various colleagues like Canada and others uh, to help me with the drafting. Mm-hmm. But I did the initial draft, and then they sort of improved it and cut it down, moved bits around. Okay. Uh, my ambassador at the time as well had a look at it because she was great um, at, at drafting. Um, and then, um, and then you almost—it's almost like you have to get it out there, so you have to publish it. So then, then the, the, that first phase uh, before publishing it effectively was, um, or presenting it to member states, was to. Um, select a group of countries whom I knew were very focused on this oceanographic program. So I knew I knew they cared deeply about this. This is where uh, the diplomacy comes this in. This is where the diplomacy this comes in. This is where in. you're yeah. sort of moving yeah. around and like picking yeah. the people that you choose to work with you yeah. Yeah. in order to get a core number of people that can then be yeah. more influential or something. So I didn't so so the way so so picking sounds sounds a bit so 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 mm. this is the thing we, we must always avoid doing is because you, you 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 actually that can backfire actually so so what what i did was i i emailed a, a lot of colleagues uh, a very broad range of countries and then it's only the ones who were really interested who, who responded and who came to that meeting mm-hmm. and it was a meeting that we chaired that i chaired with my ambassador and um and then we presented the issue and then and then there were a lot of questions so you, so we were answering that questions. It was a bit like a, uh, uh, <laughs> it was a bit like a parliamentary question time. So yeah, they'd be quizzing you. Oh yeah, they'd be quizzing me. They were they were grilling me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, sorry, so, how many how many countries were there um, present at this meeting then? Well, um, that so we did two sessions in, in that that one morning, and the keen the re, the countries who were really keen were the first came to the first session. As you'd imagine, yeah. Uh, I guess forty or fifty, okay. forty or wow, fifty countries. So it's forty or fifty individual delegates uh, yeah. uh, grilling you yeah. on your proposal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. And we 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 brought food, so they're, so they're <laughs> <laughs> we were trying to <laughs> soften the the, the 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 you know the, the as much as possible the negotiations. Like, so we brought madeleines. I and, give and you coffee. a cake. <laughs> you you agree with me? This is the way it works. Exactly. No, but no, it was a very very serious meeting, but there was lots of food, so people could um, could stay on top of uh, 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 of their brief. Yeah. Um, no, but it was a it, it was a really good process because it meant that you could iron out all of the issues. You could get people to voice their concerns, uh, air their frustrations, um, uh, and again, like I come back. I, I keep coming back to this. I think it's very risky being a delegate of of a, of a UN organization because you're responsible for a very important decision. Actually, you're, 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 the people who were in that room were ultimately going to take a decision about millions of dollars being allocated to a program, and they had to then sell that back to their capital. So they wanted to make sure they'd understood everything so they could brief. The, uh, their colleagues back in, in their capital. Um, so it's pretty, yeah, I guess pretty tense. So I was getting <laughs> lots, of, lots of questions about, you know, how, so I, I had to, yeah, I had to. So, I, so my role was then to clarify and answer all those questions. I, I had them in my head and I had the figures in my head because I'd be, this was a, a, a process that 
you know, a, a document that took a year in the making uh, before we. So, so it's, it's, it's it was sort of very slow, gradual process, and then towards the end, you have a sprint uh, yeah. because because we, we had like from January till March to get everything down to get the paper finalized because the the session was going to be in May. So we had to submit the paper a month before um, because UNESCO has to do uh, the translation into six languages. Okay, um, and then uh, and then so we so we did that and so then then after those inform so we did two informal sessions of negotiations and then a lot of back and forth by email and yeah. all the time the result of those negotiations or meetings is to kind of make changes to yeah, your that's your. Right. Your document. Yeah. You, uh, do you call it a proposal? Yeah. It's so it's so it's a it's a decision. So you have two parts. You have a decision, and then you have an explanatory note. note. Yeah. 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 Okay. So mm. it's the decision. The decision, which is a what does it look like? A contract? Does it's, it look like a contract? It, 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 it's a it's a number of paragraphs. Um, I can't remember how many paragraphs we had, but it was uh -huh. it was a, a page and a half. And then you have you know the the paragraphs are numbered, and your you, the typical opening would be. You recall a number of previous decisions so that you're it's it's effectively like in a court of law. Yeah. You're, it's a judgment in a way like you, you yeah. have to recall uh, and make sure that your evidence base is is a, is correct and, and accurate yeah. and, and sound uh, in a way. So yeah. you have the legal foundations in a way. So like a, like, a, yeah. like a court's decision or a judge's decision would yeah. refer to yeah. previous cases. Exactly. You know, I don't know exactly the wording they would use, but as, you know, it, with reference to, you know, blah, blah, blah versus blah, 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 yeah. you know, uh, exactly. or, or some other previous case yeah. case notes. Oh, absolutely. And, and, then, you, and it's, 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 it's funny because my uh, previous ambassador, uh, we always used to laugh at how difficult to digest those those letters and UNESCO documents are because it always begins with in reference to really? EXB 2016 slash rev <laughs> <laughs> addendum X and this and it you you're, it lose you know it lose yeah. you're, you're you're already you know dropping off you're already lost at the yeah, beginning of that it's difficult to read that stuff <laughs> it's isn't really it? yeah. difficult <laughs> Especially it's like a, a Tuesday morning, you didn't sleep very well the night before, you haven't had coffee yet, and you're just like, okay, with reference to EX3, oh, God. Oh, yeah, it's hard work. So in, yeah. you're, you're essentially sending this stuff out to people, yeah. asking people to read it. Yeah. Yeah, and then the, the diplomacy, yeah, I mean, all sorts of uh, sort of communication skills involved throughout yeah. this process. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So let's okay. I hope everyone listening and watching is following all of this stuff because it is complicated. It's incredibly yeah. complicated, I have to say. So, in, so where in, are where, yeah. just let's just make sure everyone knows where we are. So you're giving this example of this oceanographic project, this yeah. decision that you'd like to yeah. be taken, that you would like to be able to apply. Yeah. In to, and it's a very concrete thing. It was in, it, increasing the funding for that program. It's okay. giving that, for, that that program more funding so it could do its core 
science. Okay. Yeah. And ultimately, you want all 194 yes. um, member states, member states, yeah, to uh, to give their agreement to, yes. to this decision. Yes. And then it gets actually, yes. um, it gets applied, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So, and at this stage, so you've written the thing. It yeah. took you a year to write yeah. it. You've then, no, actually, yes. Oh, well, it took me a year to think about it, and then it, <laughs> it took me a day to write it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because it, you, you, it's a bit like Jack Kerouac, uh, uh, you know, writing his book in one night because it's just so clear in his mind. Yeah. <laughs> he lived it for a, a year yeah. or two and then just That's right. wrote it all down and then at in the one end, night. It just, yeah, it, it's like that. It's, it's a volcano just erupting. Right, I yeah. see. I see. Okay. So you've written it, you've, you've changed it with the help of a few key uh, sort of, I don't know, I wouldn't want to say allies. That's yeah. not the right word. Yeah, key contributors. Okay. Yeah. And then you've opened it out to a, a, a slightly larger group yeah. in these two um, meetings where they're grilling you. Like, what about this? What about yeah, this? Yeah, what, what about, about this? this? Before we agree, we want to Absolutely. ask you all these questions. Absolutely. And that must be hard work for you. Um, yeah. It was hard work. It, it was sort of, you know what? I, did, I, I thought it was great. Actually, I, I felt good in that process because mm -hmm. I could see that countries cared deeply about the ocean and they you had some very passionate individuals who thought of, of their jobs not just as a sort of a, a posting that they were going to do for four years but they were actually taking that subject really seriously they thought you know it's the ocean and 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 the ocean yeah. science is going to play in, uh, an important part in the next you know, COP27, COP28, you know, all, all, all of those important meetings where, where decisions are going to be taken about, you know, the future of the planet. Mm -hmm. And 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 that UNESCO program does very tangible things. So we, I was just happy that we could, we'd picked something that was um, uh, where we could bring a lot of different countries where we would not necessarily always agree agree on everything but on that one th on that one thing we agreed and there was that agreement was really strong okay yeah so then what was next after that so that was like you said yeah. about 50 countries something in the region of so yeah what so was the then, next what was the next stage so then let, we let, had, me, let me move your microphone a little closer to yeah. you if i can yeah of course um, so then we had to we had to seal the deal you know you yeah. had to get countries to sign and and so 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 we call that co-sponsorship so we had to make sure that countries could co-sponsor uh the the document as it was so we'd done all the editing mm -hmm. the, 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 the there was a final draft and we said right can you put your your name to this because we didn't want, i mean the last thing you want to do when you propose uh a resolution or a decision is to be the only country proposing it because it looks odd and it, it, countries get suspicious about that. So you wanted to have as many countries as possible. Proposing it to the rest of yeah. the... Yeah, it's, it's sort of jointly proposing it to the rest of the organisation, yeah. Yeah, okay. I so see. in the end, we had about 53 countries who co-sponsored it out of 194, which is not bad. And, um, and then the reason you want to do that is to avoid another lengthy debate in the meeting because it's very expensive because you've got interpreters. So we always say avoid having a negotiation on the interpreter's time. And what happened then was that there was a, a decision that was uh, another document, another item that was dragging and the chair, I think, was, was, was being a bit was frustrated about that because I think the authors of that previous <laughs> document hadn't really prepared their, their the room, so we 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 were super prepared, and everyone was clear about 
what the issue was. So we then came in and said to the chair, let's, let's just adopt it without debate. And the chair loved that. He thought, great, we just gavel that one and it's done. Yeah. And so, so, that, so there was no, no discussion. Everyone knew what this item was about because we'd been talking about it for so long. And we just did a short intervention at the end to say, thank you. It's a really important item. And, just sort of, and, they, and everyone and agreed. Done, and it was done, yeah. Oh, well by, done. By, by uh, uh, consensus. Fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. So you didn't have to do a painful, tortuous yeah. negotiation. We didn't have to edit it, exactly. With 194 right. or, or any edits, yeah. as you said, with the document yeah. on yeah. the screen. Uh, wow, great. That must have been very satisfying. It was. It was, actually, because it meant that we could, you know respect the sacrosanct sacrosanct uh, you know um, principle in a way that decisions are adopted by consensus it's very important at unesco unesco is one of those organizations that because the 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 mandate is so universal you've got you know education science culture culture it's it's very difficult to vote uh, on 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 decisions and resolutions on culture i mean it's just it it doesn't really make much sense. So you want those decisions to be adopted as much as possible by consensus. You mean without, when you say by consensus, you, you mean um, without having to like force people yeah. into yeah, doing that's it, like right. trying to persuade them really yeah. hard. You just want them to read it and everyone to in the room to just be like, yes, we all agree. Well, they, they, that's right. And, and the way that you get to that point is that you are inclusive as much as possible and you take comments on board as much as possible. Uh, provided their constructive comments, and and that's how you build the consensus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm. okay. All right then. So we kind of went yeah. from small to big there, in, in through the process where you started yeah. on your own, or maybe with your um, ambassador, with of, yeah, and then with a the group yeah. of uh, a group of experts yeah. the, from Southampton, yeah, um, and then you open it out to a few key. Um, other participants who help you to to draft it and then you get the smaller well i say smaller but the the meetings where they quizzed you or grilled you yeah and then you prepared it so well that when you presented it to the uh what's the next what's the word i'm looking for presented it to the the executive board executive (laughs) board yeah yeah oh that that of that where that's where they grilled you is it no 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 no. um that's where we adopted it Okay. Yeah. The, so the, that the, wasn't the, 194 the, people. Uh, 194 uh, no, it's 58. 58. Countries. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because that's the executive board. The executive board gets yeah. to make decisions. Yeah. For oh, the so, whole so, so they lot. get. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's. It's. I'd. I mean, some might say uh, that it's the most important governing body of UNESCO. You, you've got to be on the executive board to make okay. those important decisions. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. 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 So, the, so I think the word you were looking for was informal negotiations. <coughs> yeah. Uh, that's when. That's when I put the paper, presented the paper the first time, and was grilled. Informal <laughs> negotiations. That's the grilling session. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, what are the? Um, when is it difficult? Then, what are the challenges when you've got 194 delegates from uh, from 194 countries? At least 194 delegates. Um, you've got so many different communication styles. Yeah. You've got different languages, people coming mm. from different cultural oh, yeah. contexts. Um, does it, I mean, you know, does it go wrong sometimes? <clears throat> it does. Um, it's, 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 it's such a challenge. It's a really good question. 
Thank you for asking that question. It's See, a difficult, do, that's a difficult. That means it's a difficult <laughs> question, everyone. See, I, I'm, 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 my technique is to thank um, <laughs> the entire room before I, I start uh, my intervention, so that I can get my thoughts I in, don't in the right to, order. So, by asking a question like that, I don't, you know, because you can't. Uh, no, not, I, it's not meant to be a challenging question. I do genuinely want to explore the subject of intercultural communication. Yeah. You know, so coming from the position yeah. of being an English language teacher, yeah. you know, this is a subject that comes up a lot you know like a lot of my students yeah. who I've taught over the years have you know worked in various different capacities yeah. in different all sorts of different industries and things uh, and they you know uh, dealing with people from other countries yeah. probably in English yeah. um, always involves that cultural element yeah. where fair enough you're trying to speak the same language but you're yeah. not yeah. You, there's a different mindset because you're coming yeah, from different places um, and different cultures so I'm always interested in any sort of insights that people have about that process and I mean you're at a great position because yeah. this is this is the a very substance of, of what yeah. you do isn't it, it well, communication is everything you know diplomacy is about convincing you, you you have to convince the colleagues around the table who are also decision makers you have to convince them that this is the right decision to take and 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 that that your proposal is sound and that your your intervention is is constructive um but you know it comes down to the relationship that you build you know it's it's almost i remember one of my previous bosses saying to, to me you know you People do business with people. It's always down to the individual relationship. Um, so your communication style will. So, so typically, the, your communication style will have to be adaptive. You'll have to adapt to the person that you're talking to, and they will be coming in to this conversation from a very different cultural perspective. They will find that maybe you, you maybe they'll you, you'll find that some of the language that you're proposing. They find it offensive. Really, and, and you, we think we think it's wow. It's just just being efficient. We're being you know getting to the point. We're we're trying to be concise, and actually a few words uh, like ensuring, like uh, we want to uh, ensure that uh, uh, that that UNESCO does this and that. They think one. This is this is too strong language. You know, you know how can you ensure that UNESCO does these things? Because in, to ensure something is to yeah. make something sure, to make it yeah. certain. Yeah. and that sounds yeah. a bit like yeah. forcing someone yeah. to do something. Yeah, it's too direct. Yeah. Or, or, or even sometimes you know you have these uh, very operative words. Requests the director general to do X, Y, Z. Yeah, and countries I've found in in, in informally in the, they've come to speak to me and tap on my shoulder in the meeting and say. You can't, you can't say that, Max. You know, you, you, you're being too forceful here. You, why don't you say invites the director general, or you know, this is a good uh, this rec recommends that the, that the director general takes this position. This yeah. is really interesting yeah. because ultimately, what you're trying to do is is ask someone to do something, yeah. or, or, or tell someone to do something. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. if we take this uh, a, a simple case study, which is like make me a cup of tea, yes. right? <laughs> yeah. So that that's it, that request. So the the idea is that I want a cup of tea, yeah. and I want you to make it. For example, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so how do I actually achieve that? Right. <laughs> but, so for the first level is simply. Max, make me a cup of tea, yes. or or make me a cup of tea now, or make me a cup of tea in ten minutes. You know, right? There's that, and then we can go through all the different well, possible ways of phrasing right. this request. 
Well, I but, wanted. I actually want to do it. How would you do that? So, so you, so you would say you, you, you would recall a, a previous decision where uh, <laughs> uh, my predecessor uh, or or, or has had made you a cup of tea before, or, or you would recall a law that says that every guest on Luke's podcast should uh, bring a cup of tea uh, in the room, unless uh, and uh, or, or another, otherwise they will be arrested. So, okay, so that would be <laughs> medieval <laughs> times. Max, remember, remember. <laughs> This sounds a bit informal, though, the way I'm saying it. But I would say maybe in a more informal setting, I'd say Max. But this is you wouldn't. These requests are not made informally; they're made in form of text. They're made very formally. So, so you would you would like I say you would start recording. You would start recalling various decisions in writing. And and you would you would you would also have um, you would recognise the importance of the issue. You you would say recognising the importance of. Uh, in the development of uh, in the in the con- in the facilitating of the connection between synapses, for example, <laughs> you, you would you would then recognise the convivial nature of sharing a cup of tea, and you would acknowledge um, the art of tea making, and then you would get into the real beef of the issue. You would say. Um, uh, on on the basis of these principles, you invite Max to um, to consider mm-hmm. um, 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 switching the kettle on with a view to uh, <laughs> brewing a lovely cup of tea right. for his gentle host. <laughs> that is a very indirect way yeah. of doing it. Very very. It's very respectful. It's very gentle. It's very gentle. Very. Graceful. The language is always quite graceful. Um, um, well, not always, but we try. I mean, the, 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 we try. The aim is to make the language as graceful as possible. I see. Um, and so, when you're dealing yeah. with different cultures, yeah. there's different um, expectations or standards of yeah. uh, gracefulness or indirectness in yeah. language. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, certain cultures they don't like being direct for if, for example if i yeah, just said yeah, to you yeah. max remember last time you yeah. came here you made me a cup of tea yeah, 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 yeah. um well i request another one yeah yeah that that's much <laughs> no. too strong and that's rude uh, absolutely yeah yeah no that that that, that, that you you'd have to put a lot more sort of um fluffiness around that but but that's the debate that's exactly the nature of the debate you have countries who kind of say oh come on you know let's get to the point here we're we're we're, we're beating around the bush mm-hmm. um and and then you have countries who just really want the language to be gentle and who don't want to force the secretariat or do, who, do, who don't want, who can't culturally sort of bring themselves to requesting the secretariat as if to say, we own you, you know, you're our, you belong to us, you do what we say because we pay you. You know, there's they, they, they don't want to say that. They want to sort of be approaching it in terms of a collaboration between like, again, sort of coming to my point where you have two sides. You have the member states who are the shareholders and then you have the secretariat staff who are uh, delivering. So so that relationship is um, is a very collaborative one. And, mm. and, and we... We've. It's, they're they're quite extraordinary people, the, 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 the colleagues in the secretariat. They're very eminent, um, you know, experts in their, in their fields. And then... So, so, it's, so in a way, we're, we're lucky to have them. Yeah. So we want to make sure that they we can enable them to 
blossom and bloom. <laughs> yeah, so you have to, yeah, you have to treat them with care, yeah. due, due yeah. care and attention. Yeah. You can't just be, oi, make me a cup of tea. No, that's right, because they, because because they they are, you know, <laughs> a lot more uh, uh, experts and, and 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 sort of, you know, they're, yeah. they're a lot yeah. more interesting and probably important in their fields than we are in our fields. Like, who are we to tell them Absolutely, what yeah. to do? But but at the same time. We are. It's 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 where we are actually responsible for the outputs of that organisation. So we had. So it's, it's a very subtle balance. Yeah, it's fascinating the pragmatics of the way language works yes. and the decisions we have to take with it, and the yeah. the, the the way that uh, language changes depending on the relationship that yes. you have or the, the yeah. way that you perceive yeah. the relationship. Yeah, 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 yeah. If someone uses language with you in a certain way. It's very disrespectful because it sort of shows that they perceive you yeah. or their relationship with you in a certain way. Yeah. Um, it's not just a question of using certain. There is no such thing as just simply objectively rude language. Well, some sometimes there is with yeah. swear words, but it's often more about the implication yeah. of the wording yeah. and how that implies the relationship or the way you view the other person. Completely. Yeah. It's the, yeah. recently. I mean, it, it, I, we were negotiating. Something I, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to get into the detail, but mm -hmm. the point I'm, I, I think I'm trying to make is coming back to your point about cultural interpretations, and we I, I was I was speaking to it was a group of us from I guess the northern hemisphere speaking to a country who was from the southern hemisphere, and the communication style is very different. North and South. You, you. I, typically, I would say that the North, Northern countries are much more sort of blunt and direct, and 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 don't think actually that they, um, you know, they that they're being rude. Um, but but that shifts sometimes. That 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 that, that I've seen that shift as well. And and in that, in that particular case, it's it's an exception to that. To my assumption, anyway. We were speaking to a, a group of countries from the North. We're speaking far too diplomatically to a country from the south and that individual just didn't understand why we were being um why, what our reservations were what our preoccupation was were and at one point i came in and said look this is the issue and 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 and, and colleagues were uncomfortable and and one colleague came to me after that and said max you know it's, you were being undiplomatic there it's not it's not right. You, you, you can't say you know, things like that. Because you, uh, you saw these two two, I, two groups well, who were sort of um, sort of uh, what's the word for it? Um, uh, getting the uh, they were at cross purposes or yes. getting the wrong end of the stick getting and not, the wrong end of the not stick. quite communicating yeah. clearly. And you just came and said, "Look, let this me just clarify. Let me here's just clarify. the issue. Here's the issue." And 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 that person then responded, and said, "Ah, okay, I understand. It's not just about." this other issue it's actually about this specific issue and they they understood they understood what our reservations were and we were being we were you know other countries and I, we were beating around the bush we were not being clear enough mm -hmm. and so you have these challenges sometimes where you just have to sort of put the diplomacy and the the, the fancy language on the side and just be super clear because you you need to move on. You need to make progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah and that's yeah. that's the challenge and the communication. But the um, I, I guess I guess coming back to um, you know the the, the issue of language. 
you have six official languages in the UN. Yeah. And in UNESCO, it's the same. It's the standard UN um, format where you have um, English, French, Spanish, um, Chinese, Russian, and Arabic. Mm-hmm. Um, or Mandarin, sorry. Um, yeah. But we actually on on the screen it's labeled Chinese actually. So, so mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's it's an old um, uh, way of calling it. But um, so you have those 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 six languages, and 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 in in the UNESCO rooms you're able to sort of just sort of flick a button <laughs> where you flick between those languages and you listen to the language that you want. There's, so there's yeah. six simultaneous interpretations, yes, interpretations going on. There's exactly. six people listening in yeah. and speak uh, simultaneously yeah. interpreting what's being said. Absolutely. Wow, incredible. Yeah. And you've got a little yeah. thing, you've got headphones and you can switch headphones. between the different channels. You can. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. 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 And um, so the challenge is that you want to make sure that the nuance of what's being said by the the speaker in the room the, the usually the official representative of of his government you want to make sure that the person who's saying that intervention in arabic that the person who's listening to it in russian actually gets that nuance and i've had colleagues who've come to me who from some of the uh uh, I guess I, I, th- I think from Lithuania, um, who understood the Russian intervention because the person was speaking in Russian, and said, "What you were getting in your headphones in English was very gentle." <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> or, 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 or other or other countries, maybe Arab Arab, Arab uh, represent Arab countries, um, uh, Arab representatives speaking in Arabic. What they were saying was actually a lot more harsh than what we were getting in English. So so even there's that sort of diplomacy <laughs> from the interpreters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a hu- I have the utmost respect for interpreters because yeah. what they do is absolutely incredible. Yeah. And also it's very revealing about the nature of different languages yeah. that some, I think... I'm not I'm not an expert linguist or anything yeah. but I think that you know some languages just by their nature are yeah. more direct than others. Yeah. I mean even if you know just like grammar sentence structure some in some languages like for example Japanese they put yeah. the verb later in the sentence mm-hmm. and I think in German this happens too but I'm not entirely sure but uh, yes, listeners yeah, yeah. listeners so can In German conf- that's correct yeah. 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 Do you speak German? Well a little bit. I I mean I I studied German at school and, and I I never lived in Germany so I, I you, you know you could argue yeah. I never really practiced it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But um, so anyway, these structural things yeah. uh, make a huge difference. Yeah. Where you know the impact gets changed, mm-hmm. and also obviously some languages have words which are harsh and direct, and which don't necessarily have equivalents in other in the other languages. So you know, it's yeah, it must be that by feeding it through the interpreter, that's right. The message does change in its tone sometimes some it can yeah uh, always for the better i mean I, it's, that's where i'm i really admire the interpreters is I, I i i mean i understand that what they're you know what we're getting uh, in our headphones is a very gentle <laughs> coming back to my point earlier is is a very gentle version of what was actually said mm-hmm. a nuanced version but 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 you have the risk also of russian colleagues saying Actually, no. I mean, everyone. I said this, and everyone else got the wrong version. The interpreters interpreted it in the wrong way, um, and so some of the nuance gets lost sometimes. It's really risky because you have then an entire room who then sort of 
looks a bit lost and 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 whereas the original speaker actually intended to say something quite different so do you ever get the yeah. sorry do you ever get the interpreter in and say oh right come in no, no, here no. <laughs> what did you do you know what do you, you know, not not in a not, not to punish them but just to kind of involve them in the conversation does that ever happen um Quite rarely. Um, sometimes the chair will pause the meeting and and will ask the the speaker to repeat their statement, and the interpretation will have another go at it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've seen that happen. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's 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 fascinating, isn't it? Because it's it's again communication is everything. Communication is with an aim of convincing. You need to convince colleagues that this is the right thing to do, and and like you say, those decisions are effectively aiming to to cause an an action in a way. You 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 want to trigger an action, so you want the organisation to do something that, that you're you're telling them to do so you want to tell colleagues something you want yeah you want to tell them what to do um so that's that's that you got to get that tone right you got to get the, the language right um the I, I guess the other challenge is about time as well it's always about because unesco's agenda is 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 very busy you have a lot of um, subjects being discussed at UNESCO. You have education, you have natural sciences, social and human sciences, culture, and within the culture portfolio, there's lots of different aspects of cultures. You have um, you have restitution of cultural property. You have um, freedom of artistic expression. You have protection of cultural heritage. Obviously, that's the big flagship. Protection of cultural heritage in armed conflict, uh, and those are all being discussed at UNESCO. Um, um, and then you have um, then freedom of expression, uh, media freedom, safety of journalists. So, so, um, so that in a, in a, in a sort of two week, a week and a half, two week meeting of the executive board, you've got to go through. Pretty much all, all of that, uh, and so so that that's where communication is coming back to communication needs to be efficient and and clear, because if you take an afternoon for a, another for one item that was supposed to just take an hour or two hours max, you're shifting the entire agenda, uh, and you're then compressing the agenda on things where actually there the, the, there needs to be a debate. Um, mm. So it's 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 always a risk. Yeah, goodwill is so important, isn't it? In yeah. these situations, like um, a, a sense yeah. of um, uh, how do we define goodwill? It's just that sense of like uh, 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 deciding to enter into these uh, situations with In a positive yeah. and good faith yeah, uh, approach. I, that's yeah. a really interesting point. I think you you hit the nail on the head there, because one of the subtleties, I suppose, uh, of of negotiating is you could very well take the position where you are, well, you're faking misunderstanding. You're saying, well, well, you don't agree mm -hmm. with that particular mm -hmm. intervention, but you don't want to say to the, to the entire room, we don't agree with that uh, because that's just, that's, you know, you're not going to, that's not going to get, you know, support. So you could just buy yourself time and say, I don't really understand what you're saying, what this country is proposing. Can they explain? Mm. And then they buy them. And then, you know, that's buying time. And it's, it's effectively, sometimes your, uh, some country's strategy is to just 
push people to exhaustion in a way <laughs> really what by pretending not to understand pretending not to understand or going around the houses as we would yeah. say yeah and that comes back to your 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 comment about good faith and and, and you know goodwill yeah so you get Completely. that sort of thing where yeah. people sort of like attempt basically force everyone to get frustrated as yeah. a sort of tactic yeah. Yeah. Do, do you have you ever noticed any uh, actual sort of what's the word for it insulting uh, or or, or uh, comments that are intended to insult or cause pain yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, sadly, yes. Uh, and, I, and I've seen comments and I've seen countries respond to those um, uh, by saying, you know, I find these comments extremely offensive. And, and, and yes. And so, so, so you have those situations where someone just sort of loses their temper in a way, and says something that they regret that yeah. later on, then they have to apologise. Something hurtful in yeah, some way. Yeah, something hurtful, something a bit more uh, less polished. And, and, and yeah, mm. yeah, I've seen mm. that happen a few times. Um, but, you know, it, it, again, to sort of dwelling, I think it's such an important question that you asked about communication. There's a particular communication style, I think, that's more effective than, 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 than others, is I... I, I I started to believe more and more about the power of emotions mm -hmm. in communication and how effective an intervention can be if it's sincere and passionate. Because you just the, everything that you say, the tone, your attitude, the, the 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 rhythm of your sentence has a different flow, and. And it just it just strikes a, a different chord in people's minds. Well, I mean, we're out there to win hearts and minds of people because it's there's not much time to take these decisions. So you you only have one go at it. So once you're there, that's it. That's that's your moment. And if you're if you're not if you're if you're not convinced yourself that you're that that, that the point that you're making in that intervention in front of that big room is not a hundred percent right in your mind then you're not going to convince anyone else so that that communication style i'd say i would sort of you know describe communication in that way as well unesco about the not not being shy about putting some emotion into what you're trying to say and and as us brits we um we're trying to be you know not too emotional sometimes or we're, we're, I think we have a, an issue dealing with our emotions but uh, yeah we can do yeah. because we, do we think well yeah I agree <laughs> I think that, that maybe Brits are a little bit cautious of being super earnest yeah of making that of uh, it's, it's for, I, I often try and think of ways to um, you know illustrate this yeah because I do talk about this quite a lot mm. where I can't. I can never think of a good example for it, but a certain earnest, like one-dimensional earnestness. Yeah, we find that uncomfortable. We have to balance it with a little bit of humour or something to kind of break the t the awkwardness that we feel when we're just speaking directly from the heart. Uh, you know, and that's in all sorts of different yeah. ways. Yeah, you know, in moments of diplomacy or uh, even in sort of uh, relationships. Yeah, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I just want. I, I think that's a really good point. I want to pick up on that. The humour. I think you. You're right. 100 percent right. If you 
manage to do an intervention where you're talking about something difficult and you know it's not going to land very well. It's it's the right thing to say, but it's going to be a pain for the person on the receiving end, usually the secretariat. So, for example, for many years, we've the UK has been asking the secretariat to um, reform its field offices. So UNESCO has about 53 offices around the world mm-hmm. and not all of them were doing not all of them were achieving their objectives and delivering you know good tangible results mm-hmm. and uh, the UK for a number of years were, was was quite frustrated about that so we always had to sort of say come on can you you know can you improve that please can you improve the management of that 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 system and and I just remember a conversation with one member state and we it was a ping pong negotiation where the entire room was saying we're staying clear of that discussion it's too political we're going to let those two countries fight it out and and, and uh, it, this was on the interpreter's time in the room a ping pong negotiation yeah it's yeah. like to tick to tick to tick yeah. like two yeah. p- two yeah. people just two countries going back and forth back and forth in a room where there's over a hundred delegates. It's like a yeah, like I'm watching a big game of ping pong. It was where there's a big audience yeah. and just two people in the middle. Yeah, and and I made a little joke, but it was it was a very tasteful joke. It was it was really and the whole room. Sorry, were you playing the ping pong? I was I was I was yeah. You were one of the players. I was okay. one of the players. You made a joke. Yeah. yeah, and I made a joke, and it was a it was culturally related. And the well, I'm not going to get into the details mm-hmm. of it, but it, it was it was incredible how the entire room just sort of relaxed because everyone laughed, everyone found my joke quite funny, and and the entire room just relaxed, and we was able to reset the mood, and people were and we 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 came back to the negotiation a lot more sort of lightheartedly, but but you're right, I mean us as as British we have in our culture that 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 way of incorporating humor in 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 serious business you know speeches or meetings yeah. or interventions or or you know and we do we do that at the beginning or in the middle or somewhere and it's a way of um yeah it's a way of just relaxing the atmosphere and yeah. easing up the tension we're quite good at that we're yeah. not we're not you know you know in terms of our skill set yeah you know, we we may be not so great in some other areas, yeah. but in terms of like breaking the ice with a bit of humour, or at least being prepared for it, yeah, yeah, we're we're quite good at yeah. that. That's that's also interesting. That not only will we perhaps do something that's intended to be humorous, yeah. but also Brits are always ready to receive humour as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, so you know, the giving and receiving yeah. in communication. Not not all other cultures are always ready for yeah. for humour. Yeah. I mean, I know that just from yeah. experience. No, absolutely. And 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 some <laughs> countries might feel, wow, this guy's trying to you know is trying to sort of wrap me around his finger here, and he's trying to sort of get me to laugh at at this situation, so that I forget to ask. The difficult question, also that I don't see the actual thing that that person is trying to convince me of. So you can you could you could almost misuse humor, or you could almost sort of be mis- misinterpreted. You could almost be mm. in a situation where the fact that you're 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 trying to sort of ease the tension and and, and put a bit of humor into the conversation, the the person opposite might might get 
increasingly suspicious about that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had that in the UK, haven't we? We've had politicians who were just joking around <laughs> a bit oh, too much. Yeah, well, yeah. So this is so you, you, you're referring to a certain uh, yeah. ex prime minister whose whole uh, persona yeah. was like, you was know, I'm just, you know, I'm just, you know, it's all a bit of a, it's all a bit of a joke, isn't it? Bah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but so that's just an example of of when it goes too far. Yeah. I think you know that's kind of it's it that was a weakness in our culture. I think to allow uh, Boris Johnson to uh, this is me talking. This is not these are not the words of UNESCO here. No, 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 no. Uh, but it's it, you, but uh, yeah. To allow Boris Johnson to get into this position he got into was yeah. uh, to a large extent because people loved him because he was perceived as being a funny, 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 guy. charming. Yeah. yeah. But 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 I think his humour let him down sometimes. I mean, he he, he was great. He, he did some great jokes, and he he would he would re, he would win the room with yeah. his humour. But but it doesn't work with everyone when it uh, comes to yeah. when it comes to being a great statesman. Yeah. yeah. Like for example, when your country is in the midst of a huge global yeah. pandemic, you know, which mm. is threatening the lives of hundreds of thousands of people, mm. you need a statesman. Who, who can get the tone right. Yeah. And Boris Johnson struggled in that situation. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not his cup of tea. He's much more comfortable on a TV chat show or something, yeah. Yeah. or in a, in a meeting, in a, in a, in like yeah. a drinks, after dinner yeah. drinks kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So you have to be careful about how much, you know, how, how to dose that humor uh, appropriately. Uh, and not everyone is comfortable with doing that because it's it's you know you're taking a leap of faith in a meeting. I mean that before I took the floor and did that joke in that meeting, I was really nervous. I was I just didn't know which way it was going to land, and thank goodness it landed the right way and, and we, it, it enabled us to make progress because we were just getting into a deadlock. Um, and and, and, and uh, it just reminds me of a French word, um, and the French use this word dilettante. Mm -hmm. I don't know what, what what would that be in English. Well, a dilettante is that yeah. um... someone who's just approaching uh, uh, a, a subject, an important subject matter, with a real air of non of such nonchalance that it's insulting. In yeah, a so a time waster. You yeah. know, like um, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, again, this is yeah. interesting because in yeah. French there's the dilettante, which is this wonderful yeah. single word, uh, quite large sounding word. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in English we end up with a much more pragmatic phrase. Uh, a time waster. Yeah. But no, you know, you, you, you see this. Uh, I don't know, right? In so here's an example. When you go, okay, this sounds like a random example, but mm. I'm just trying to yeah. uh, illustrate this phrase, uh, time waster. You uh -huh. see this also in the context of being in a band, uh -huh. right? So you go to a, a rehearsal studio, yeah. and you see on the wall. Uh, I'm curious what would be written in French, but you see on the wall posters for. Uh, bands at, who want a drummer or want a guitarist yes yes and it says you know uh punk band or yeah. like a 60s mod revival uh -huh, band uh -huh. uh, seeks bass player uh -huh. uh, with own own equipment yes uh, no time wasters no time wasters please yeah i mean i don't know That's if the classic what, what's what would be written on a, one of those in french would they say no dilettante I don't, know. I, don't, I don't know. Is that too I, I, is that too formal? I I th I th I've never seen um uh adverts for looking for band members in France actually. I, I don't know where they would they would put them. 
but it's it's not as common as as in the UK. I I, I mean, no time wasters. Uh, yeah, people yeah. in France waste <laughs> wasted the lot. There's a different relationship to time. Yeah, um, <laughs> I shall have a look. I'll I'll see. I'll get back to you on that one. Uh, ne- never in diplomacy. Never say I have no idea. That's like no 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 no. Don't say that. Say hmm, interesting point. I'll get back to you. So we got. Great question. Thanks Great for question. asking that question. Yes. Uh, it's a really interesting point. I'll get back to you on that. Back. Words to live by, words to die by. <laughs> In many situations, also as an English teacher, those are useful things. Yeah. That's a really interesting question. Um, let me check it out. And, uh, you know, it's going to take quite a long time, I think, to really go through that in detail. So let me check it out and I'll, I'll get back to you. I mean, and then you go back in the teacher's room and you look yeah. through your copy of Murphy or whatever Luke, it is. You have that, two minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yes, 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 yes. Okay. All right. Wow. Um, very interesting subject and very interesting work that UNESCO does. Um, and yeah, we, di- we didn't get into the, the, the nuts and bolts of what UNESCO does. Maybe, um, just sort of to clarify for the, for, for the listeners, um, UNESCO is really at the high level of policy. So they will yeah. produce high level policy recommendations. They, they, they will not be building schools or building roads or delivering vaccines. They will be setting what a good education system should look like in a country. So they are saying yeah. to governments in yeah. countries, yeah. here is a... Here's a, uh, here's, a li- here's a recommendation here's for a the laws list. that you... Yeah. yeah, here's a recipe list for how you can get um, your literacy rates um, in- increasing yeah. uh, or your, your num- numeracy rates yeah. increasing. It's yeah. an extremely yeah. high-level project, you yeah. know, and in- incredible, really. And it came, out yeah. of the, uh, it came out of the end of World War Two. It did. As that a way of the let's, idea. let's build a better world yeah. sort of thing, yeah. Let's build a better world. Let's increase our understanding of each other. Let's find ways to create peace that are not through economic means and political means let's let's work at that sort of soft power uh um although soft i think i think the soft power terms it it came much later the idea was much more about the initial idea was much more about uh uh, mutual understanding intercultural dialogue uh tolerance and and just sort of uniting uh around universal topics such as education Mm. i mean out of those Five major programs of UNESCO. I, f- I always find that actually science uh, is the one that creates biggest consensus. Although you because you, you might not you might not think that, that that would be an obvious one, but I find with practice that the the science the scientific <laughs> scientists are much more pragmatic than than education specialists or certainly culture specialists or or, or um, yeah. Yeah, so it's very measurable, isn't it? As well, yeah. uh, you know, when you're dealing with science, I mean, if it's yeah. culture, uh, that's yeah, that's very sort of um, almost intangible, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. just it's about subject I, to a lot of interpretation and relativism. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, I would ask you about the um, the Parthenon marbles, but or yes. the Elgin marbles, but there's topic. It's a very yeah. hot topic. Yeah. I touched yeah. on it briefly in a recent episode. Yeah. And I'd like to do it in in uh, more detail, uh, but uh, well, yeah. I mean, what I can tell you on that is that it, it, it's it is squarely a UNESCO uh, topic of conversation. It really is, uh, you know, it sits firmly with UNESCO. It's it, it, UNESCO can't take a legal decision to force the UK to return the Parthenon sculptures. It's not about that. It's about bringing 
everyone to the table to to keep that conversation going. It's difficult when uh, when yeah. um, the Greek Prime Minister visits London, yeah. Yeah. and because he talked about it yeah. uh, on the news, yeah. that the Prime Minister, the British Prime Minister, refuses yeah. to talk to him. Yeah. It's difficult to get the dialogue going in that context. It's difficult to get the dialogue going in that context. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's all about finding the right forum, and, and UNESCO is definitely a good forum to have that conversation for between the parties. Uh, I'm I'm fa- I'm I'm hopeful that the discussion will evolve with time. Um, it's 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 a really important topic, and we need to just keep keep yeah keep the conversation open. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, we certainly kept the conversation open. Uh, <laughs> kept the conversation during, during. during this episode. There. Well, anyway, um, th- thank you, Max. No, for, thanks for, for having me. Yeah. For telling us all about that. It's really interesting uh, subject and, and stuff. And nice to have you in the pod room. Um, and uh, I don't know. I've, so, so earlier on, before we started this recording, you came in and you looked around at my guitars and you're like, "Oh wow, look at the guitars!" Because <laughs> listeners, Max is a, an excellent guitarist. Thank you. <laughs> and so my guitars are feeling very happy uh, right now because uh, Max took a guitar, took this guitar off the wall. This is um, listeners, you can't see this, but um, it's just one of my electric guitars that um, I, I don't play as much as I should do because I'm really not that good. Um, but Max picked it up and started playing some Jimi Hendrix on it. Like, oh my God. And the guitar, it's like, the, I could see the guitar going, thank you. Thank you so much for playing Jimi Hendrix so it's well. That's what I was born to do. Yeah, that's right. That's what this guitar has been sitting here thinking, when is someone going to pick me up and play Long Hot Summer Night by Jimi Hendrix? And yeah. it happened today. Yeah. So I don't know, Max, do you want to, I mean, do you want to, do you want to uh, well, please one of my other guitars? W- which one? Which one shall I shall I pick up? Um, well, I make... think that if if you're going to play the guitar on this podcast, then it's going to have to be an acoustic guitar. It's be an acoustic. What about that one? Yeah. So this this one is a Very Taylor nice. GS Mini. I brought it okay. recently, and it's a slightly smaller guitar because I needed something. Because obviously we we're in a slightly smaller room, so I thought it would make sense to get a guitar that was a bit smaller. Okay. So all right, you just check that it's in tune <laughs> and stuff first. Sounds, nice. sounds all right, doesn't it? So shall I play? You can play whatever you want. <laughs> um, let me just let me just do that. How that long have you been playing song. the guitar? Um, since the age of nine. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm now forty-two. Okay. I think I'm forty-two. <laughs> when you get beyond forty, it just doesn't really uh, matter that no, much. It was just. It was just. It felt like it was the only thing to do. Uh, I grew up um, in the countryside uh, in Belgium and um, not much to do. And my mother asked me, um, would you like... She tried to get me to learn the piano and it was a disaster. And the teacher had... extremely bad breath so <laughs> I doesn't really want to make you go back to your piano lessons um, sorry poor, poor poor teacher I hope he's not listening to this but um if you um, are, if you are, I mean, you know, you, <laughs> despite the fact that maybe you didn't realise you had bad breath, you did instil certain musical foundations. That's right. Uh, here, which um, came to fruition <laughs> later when Max picked up a guitar. Um, yeah. And then, and then my mother asked me, "Do you want to? Do you want uh, sort of trying the the next option? Do you want to learn the guitar?" And I remember we were in the car coming back from school, and I thought of Slash from Guns N' Roses. 
And then I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, Slash is cool with his guitar. I said, guitar thought, is cool. You thought of Slash on the top of a mountain, didn't you? <laughs> Doing his solo from um, uh, whichever song don't that cry. is. Don't Yeah, probably. I probably thought of Slash as as the car drives off the cliff in Don't Cry and he's then jumped out of the car obviously and he's he's so, he's doing his guitar solo <laughs> right 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 yeah of course you don't yeah um, so wait you, you just to be clear you grew up in Belgium yeah. you are English You're, both your parents are English so my father's English and yeah. my mother's French oh is she yeah. okay yeah. Uh, and yeah. uh, you but you grew up in Belgium you went to an English school in Belgium right so it was it was an international school in Belgium okay uh, it, it was um, it was not the international school of Belgium it was another international school but it was uh, yeah we had we had um, a, a big uh, uh, British expat community Mm-hmm. Um, in that school, okay, it was nice. You spoke English at school. Yeah, we spoke English at school quite a lot. I was hanging out with, I made English friends, and so it was, it was always there from okay. a very early age. The English. And you're bilingual, yeah. English and French. Hope, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I hesitate in French, but I speak to my wife um, uh, in 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 French, um, and my wife is is actually an important. We were well, talking she, about she, UNESCO um, uh, earlier. She's. Um, uh, I'm thinking. I, I know that you and I both appreciate the the Godfather, the, uh, the film, the Godfather, the film, the Godfather. Yeah, yeah. And so, my I, I often think of my wife as my consigliere. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> she's she's definitely helped me to understand. Uh, how to better negotiate with the French delegation at UNESCO. Oh, mate. <laughs> this is a whole other story for another so, time, specifically yeah. like communication with the with the French. With French. Or at least Brits French. and French yeah. communicating yeah. or miscommunicating. Yeah. Yes, okay. Uh, but, um, all right. But then you also lived in, in, you went to university in the UK as well. I went to the yeah. university in the UK, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, you've got a guitar in your hands, I though, do, and everyone's yeah. like, when to stop talking about that. Just play the guitar. <laughs> uh, so, you know. So, so I came in and did, um, what did I do? I did Long Hot Summer Night. You did. I had a drum kit right now. It's funny how sometimes there's something in, in a song that really catches your attention. And I've, I've always been into rock and, you know, the, the sort of the, the really, uh, the, the louder it gets, the, the, the more I love it. And there's this bit in, in the song where he goes, it, there's a break. And instead of doing, he just, he does a. And he just does that for one, like he just does this one. And then there's the solo, the solo on top of yeah. it. And then, and then I just thought, wow. And then I love that song just for that bit. <laughs> but I, now I've learned to love it for, for the rest of it I'm as well. such a huge <laughs> Hendrix fan. It's untrue. And, you know, I, I really, I really listened to like probably the first three albums are my yeah. favorite. The first two, especially. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just, every time I listen to them, yeah. 
it's like I've re I, I kind of notice or discover more things. There's more, and 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 thank you for s- you. You sent me uh, these these tracks where, through the help of AI, they've managed to uh, isolate isolate the the vocals, and you just hear the guitar. And that's I, I think that's extraordinary because a lot of people think of Jimi Hendrix as a, 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 a sort of a noodling. Uh, crazy noodler, or the guy who did um, the Star Spangled Banner yeah. with all of the sound, the feedback and stuff. Yeah. And actually, his his compositions are ex- really interesting in terms of his more sort of the chord, the chords that he uses, and what we call uh, in music terms the, the rhythm guitar, uh, which which is just it's just much more about sort of establishing that foundation for the, of the song rather than the 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 top lines, the solo lines in a way. In much yeah. much like a classical in classical music you have the solo violin you know you that's what you hear most of and that's where the, all the glory goes <laughs> but actually all the all the things that happens beneath that Hendrix did that himself and it's, it's yeah. just so that's such a rich tapestry yeah he, he put in there. but what else did I play I, play, I also played um, some uh, in a completely different uh, registre yeah uh, I played some chic didn't I chic yeah Nile Rogers Noel, was it or was it Sister I, Sledge I, anyway no, it was, it's basically I, the so same I did, I did uh, Everybody Dance Everybody dance. Everybody dance. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Noel Rogers, who was the guitarist and sort of uh, producer of, of those records. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating guy because he created these pop songs, these disco anthems, yeah. Yeah. which actually had so much sophistication. Yeah. So, so yeah. much, uh, so many sophisticated in, jazz in, chords. Intricate guitar parts. He, 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 he. He very humbly and modestly nicknamed his guitar because he's been using the same one the one guitar for all these songs, and he's been calling it the hit maker. <laughs> I love that. He, he tells us. I saw an interview where he told a story where he was really worried about a friend of his who he just heard had had been diagnosed with cancer, and he was on the. The um, the subway, as they call it, uh, in New York, and he left the guitar on the subway. Whoa. This guitar that was worth millions in terms of the the equivalent of uh, musical you know success, the hit chart, maker. Chart, chart, you know, chart success, the hit maker. And thank goodness he 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 managed to get it back. Uh, wow! Because he because he's been distracted by this bad yeah, news. Yeah, he was he was just sort of his head was somewhere else, and he stepped out of it the subway left the guitar just, <gasps> probably had it on top I don't know where he had it but it was just at but his it, feet or something it came back to him it found uh, its way back that's right as a guitarist you, you, you sort of think regardless of how much money that guitar has made in terms of chart success you just still think it's 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 such a living thing a guitar because because like you say you know you, you yeah you, I love that analogy where you said oh that guitar was 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 <laughs> grateful that it, was, it had some some but it's 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 the um it's the vibe that you put through it. Um, yeah. Someone said they'd seen um, the actual Strat that Jimi Hendrix played at Woodstock once. Mm. And I, I read about this in an, an, an article somewhere. And the person who sort of brought the guitar out of the case brought it out with a pair of gloves. And, and everyone in the room was sort of almost sort of struck by... 
it's almost like when you go to the Louvre and you know that you're in the presence of greatness when you go and see the Mona Lisa. Yes. Just seeing that white guitar that Jimi Hendrix played at Woodstock, it was sort of a, mom- a moment where everyone, it was almost like a minute of silence. You mean, <laughs> in when respect. The, the guitar had a sort of aura. <laughs> yes, the guitar the, the, had an aura. That uh, everyone made everyone sort of like speak in hushed tones, like in the presence <laughs> of the greatness. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's. I mean, you said guitars are living things, which, you know, I kind of always think, ah, oh, damn, I wish I played these guitars a lot more than yeah. I actually do. I mean, I'm not, I'm, that's my favourite chord, because yeah, that's just, yeah, yeah. you know, and that and that's a sort of a Jimi Hendrix yeah, chord, yeah, isn't yeah, it, yeah, as yeah. well? Um, but so it's very nice for you to play them, because they're, as I said, the guitars are very happy uh, to get all this attention. Yeah. Um, I should maybe ex- talk about the other ones. That guitar over there on the wall, listeners, I'm pointing to a black and white uh, t- uh, Squire Telecaster. You can't play that. It's completely ruined. Oh. Um, well, well not completely ruined, but it's... Uh, what, uh, I had what, one of those, actually. I, it's, I, I, yeah, yeah. I had yeah. one of those. Um, they're great. I've had that for, for years and years and years. I bought yeah. it in Birmingham for about £100, and on the back of it, a, a punk has scratched the names of some punk bands. Ah. It, so it's got... Um, okay. <sighs> it's thicker than 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 a Strat, the Telecaster. Yeah. So we are now into geeky guitar chat, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this guitar is is um, unforgivably dusty. Um, I do play these, I do, but I just don't play them as often as I should, you know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, a Fender Telecaster, which I think uh, the, this model was. It's it's like older than the this design is older than the Stratocaster. Mm, yeah. Um, and as you say, it's thicker. You can see. It's interesting to see the way the guitars evolved. You know. I like um, the checking on it. It's lived. It's oh nice. yeah. Th- as I said, this That's guitar what you want. Is, it's it's lived a, it's it's lived a life. I mean, this is a Squire. Yeah. which is like the the cheaper uh, range of guitars. But you know, they, they, I mean, nowadays you would pay somewhere around four thousand euros to have that checking because because companies it's a bit very much like they used to do torn jeans, you know, ripped jeans. Yeah, they try and actually replicate that natural checking on the guitar in the factory so that when you buy it, it looks like you've had it for yeah. uh, forever. Max is referring, <laughs> listeners, if you can't see this, Max is referring to the sort of bits of damage on, on yeah. the on the black guitar yeah. that I'm holding where uh, bits of the black paint have come off. Yeah. Uh, I don't know like who owned it before I did, yeah. but this Squire was made in Korea, which is actually a pretty good sign because... Um, I find that guitars made in Korea uh, uh, can be decent. Japanese uh, guitars also are excellent. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know how old this Squire is. It might actually be a really good one. Um, uh, but the the uh, the pickups, there's something inside. The electrics don't work properly, and ah. the, one of the tuning heads doesn't doesn't stay in tune. Yeah. 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 Well, well, Paris has a street um, where. The entire street is made up of guitar shops. Yeah. And um, if you Google on Google Maps, if you say, if you Google, if you search guitar shops, you will have a, a line of red dots. Yeah. <laughs> so they're all on the same street. It's quite funny. I, I did that the other day. I just uh, find that qu- found that quite amusing. I need to so, take this to one of those so shops you, you, and get yeah, it fixed. So you'll have, you'll have choice. Yeah, you'll have a choice of guitar shops to, to, to take it to... For, for repairing it. Don't put that guitar down, players. Ah. Players, one more thing before we well, before we go. Why don't I play you? Because I'm conscious that you, uh, you you'll probably get 
if I play too much of um, copyright protected music, you'll mm -hmm. probably get um, um, YouTube or, or, or yeah, <laughs> come and my... shut you down. So I'll play one of my own compositions. Yes, and and um, and maybe that will. Uh, uh, So that was great. I really, really enjoyed that episode. I think there was a lot in there, not just about, you know, the intricacies of the work that Max does at UNESCO and the different things that UNESCO does, but just all that stuff about communication, the sort of um, insights into communication uh, that we got from that. I think there was a lot of wisdom in there, actually, um, wisdom from experience. And, you know, just some of the points that were made were things like, you know, your communication style has to be adaptive, right? You need to be prepared to adapt your communication style depending on the situation. You have to be able to change language depending on the situation. We're talking about levels of formality, but also levels of tone, like choosing the right word can have certain impacts culturally. Um, and 
you know, you have to enter into communication in good faith, meaning that good intention, coming into a situation with good intentions is really so important. It really sort of is the grease that keeps the wheels moving. Good faith, um, meaning just, yeah, a good intention, a sort of a friendly, positive intention. Um, think about things from other people's point of view. It's always important to try and get that kind of perspective. Sometimes humour can really break the ice in a situation, but it can be risky. And thank people. Thank people at the beginning of a speech. If you don't know how to start, start by saying thank you to, to, to different people. I think that's a really good little tip. If you don't know how to start, you can start by saying thank you to different people. And it kind of lets you warm up and lets you then get started. And at the end, uh, thanks again to, to Max uh, for taking the time to talk about his work in depth like that and to sincerely share his thoughts and reflections on communication in that context. Communication is everything in terms of how you manage relationships and get things done. Um, there are lots of other thoughts I could add here, but I don't think I really need to restate any of the things that have already been said. Uh, instead, though, what I will do is point out a few idioms which came up. That might be, maybe you were looking out for things like that. Maybe that's what you always do when you're listening to my podcast. Maybe you always look out for little phrases and idioms. Well, there were a few that I noticed that came up here, and most of them relate to, to communication. So the first one is to beat around the bush or beat about the bush. Very common idiom. If you beat around the bush, it means you just don't get to the point. So like, just stop beating around the bush and just get to the point. So that's talking about other things, maybe even in your communication style, being a little indirect, euphemistically referring to something without actually clearly straight ahead getting to the point. Now, sometimes it's important to beat around the bush because if you get straight to the point, it can seem a little bit um, too direct, maybe in a, maybe a bit aggressive. So you've got to know when you should beat around the bush and when you should get to the point. Normally, though, the phrase to beat around the bush, normally it's negative. You know, it's normally like stop beating around the bush, don't beat around the bush. Okay, um, next is to talk at cross purposes. If you're talking at cross purposes, it means you're sort of it's like you're not on the same wavelength so that you and the person you're talking to, you, maybe you've got different intentions for that conversation or for that situation. And so it, it, there's a bit of a misunderstanding going on. You've got crossed wires. So one person wants one thing or is trying to do one thing. Another person is trying to do another thing. And as a result, the communication's failing because you're talking at cross purposes. Like you don't you, you haven't quite got the same uh, intentions or the same uh, aims, or you're not really talking about the same thing. You're not really talking about the same thing, and so there's a bit of conflict there. Which, I'm sorry, I think we're talking at cross-purposes. What I mean is this, you know. Um, to get the wrong end of the stick or to grab the wrong end of the stick, and that just means to misunderstand the situation. It's like, oh God, she completely got the wrong end of the stick. That's not what I meant at all. Okay, like if you make a little joke to try and break the ice and the other side think that you're trying to use some sort of negotiating tactic. No, 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 no. Don't get the wrong end of the stick. No, that's not what I meant. Um, to hit the nail on the head, like you might say to someone, yeah, you really hit the nail on the head there. That means the thing you said was just right. You really pinpointed 
the thing, you know, you really, uh, your observation or your comment was really spot on. You really hit the nail on the head, meaning you really explained the situation exactly as it is. Or you made a point that was specifically relevant. You really hit the nail on the head with that. Um, Another one is, it strikes a different chord in people's minds. To strike a different chord with people. So if you speak from the heart, it strikes a chord with people. Which means it sort of like resonates with them. Or it hits them, hits them in a in a more emotional way. As I slam my elbow on the table. I really struck a chord with the table there. The table's like, yeah, okay, okay, I get it. Uh, but if you strike a chord with someone, it's like you kind of... With the thing you say, you hit a musical note, which really sort of like impacts people, touches people, moves people, or you know, seems to get through to people. Um, okay, and I think Max said this guy is trying to wrap me around his finger, referring to when maybe if British people are trying to use comedy for a situation, like trying to lighten the mood with humour. Another person might think this guy's trying to wrap me around his finger. To wrap someone around your finger means that you you manipulate them, you control them. All right, to have, you know, you, oh, you've got him wrapped around your finger, haven't you? You would say to someone who is like manipulating someone and completely controlling them. So, to beat around the bush, to talk at cross purposes, to get the wrong end of the stick, to hit the nail on the head, to strike a chord with someone, to wrap someone around your finger. Okay, just a few idioms at the end. That's the end of the episode now, though. Thank you very much for listening. If you got this far, leave a comment in the comments section just to show that you're not a skeleton with headphones on. Uh, But in fact, you are a living, breathing lepster with thoughts in your head, which are worth sharing through your fingers via a keyboard into the comments section of whatever platform you're listening to this on. So did any of this strike a chord with you? Right? Did any of this really mean anything to you? And did it strike a chord with you? I mean that both literally and figuratively in terms of the things you heard us say and also the guitar chords, which might have sounded good to you while you listened. But anyway, that's the end of this episode. I think I have just one more conversation episode in the pipeline. That'll be probably the next episode unless I decide to do something else. So one more conversation episode. And then it'll be back to doing some solo stuff, including the much requested story episodes. But anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for watching. Speak to you again very soon. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.